feeling all nervous or whatever. I mean, you have a podcast, so I don't think this will be a problem. Yeah, he's he's talked to much bigger deal people than us. This is a huge step down for Lee Ward. This is... <laughs> Could be the be hey. the beginning of the end of the podcasting empire out there at Tech Junior. Hello and welcome to Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. I'm Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Golpe. And we're pleased beyond belief to be joined by fellow podcaster, host of, uh, well, I'll let, you t I'll let him tell you what uh, program he's host of. Hey, Brian. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for being on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah, when we first met, uh, you brought up the show and you were like, you'll be on the show. So uh, here we are and here I am. And here we are, barely a year later. So yeah, good for only, us. Yeah, only took a year. So. <laughs> That's actually pretty good for us. So it's <laughs> not doing bad. That's not doing bad. And you are a uh, a software developer, and as I said, podcast host. And let's go ahead and uh, seed everybody's minds with the name of your show, so people can add that to their list right away. Yeah, please uh, check out uh, my show. I, I run one with uh, Eddie Otero, um, who's also a developer in the Orlando area, and the show is called Tech Junior. So it's a show by and for uh, junior software developers. Nice. So I guess a good way to kind of get started would be to understand uh, your educational journey and kind of how you went from your previous career into becoming a developer since that happened fairly recently. I think that might be uh, of particular interest to our audience since the people that listen to our show hopefully are people who are either in tech, you know, newly in tech or wanting to get into tech. Yeah. So um before I was a developer, I was working as a registered nurse. I worked in a surgery center. Uh, it was a endoscopy and eye surgery center. So uh, kind of an odd mix, but uh, it was different days for different procedures. But um, before that, I worked as a, a fireman and a paramedic. So I did that for almost uh, eight years combined, uh, maybe like five five as a fireman and three or four-ish as a nurse. Um, and so during that time... I was just very burned out by healthcare. I uh, didn't like it, didn't like the job, found it very hard to get myself up in the morning and go to work. And so way back when, when I went to college, uh, I had briefly tried my hand at computer science and development. And so naturally they tried to teach us Java. Well, of course they did. Yeah. So um, I can tell just from that, that you went to college somewhere between 1986 and yesterday. <laughs> it really narrows it down. You nailed it. So um, the first day of my intro to computer science class, uh, the instructor professor, I don't know what he is, but he walked into the auditorium, just kind of like disheveled flannel shirt, long hair, beard. Sounds about right. Yeah. He looked like somebody had a duck dynasty. And uh, he got up in front of the classroom and he said, little news in the life of Pete, my former best friend is sleeping with my ex-wife. Let's get started. And I was like, what is, who is this guy and why is he teaching a class? Wow. And uh, this was at uh, like a big university, like big public school. So I was very blown away by that. Uh, Java was a very terrible thing to try and learn. Um, <laughs> I had to code in Notepad. Uh, I ran all my programs in cmd.exe on Windows. So all we did was print uh, triangles to the screen for two semesters. I, you must have been very good at that. 
yeah so like right triangle on one side now okay now make an equilateral triangle and now like make a right triangle with the right angle on the other side and it was just a, a massive waste of time so yeah so i did that for about a year and then i said like you know if this is all i've learned in a year there's no way i'm going to be a developer and so i gave up i switched majors to foreign language uh, learned japanese came home became a fireman we, we kind of already went through that part but uh, so I was in the, you know, as a nurse, um, in the trauma center and the intensive care unit and on my downtime, I would pull up like free code camp or code Academy or something. And I would say like, man, uh, I wonder how my life would be if I had been a developer instead, if I hadn't given up. And so I do like some Python tutorials or whatever, and kind of mess around with that and never really get anywhere with it because, you know, all of those tutorials start with, this is a variable. This is an if statement. You're like, oh, I'm bored. And then you kind of, you know, go do something else. So um, <laughs> you were just searching for the one that would finally get you some triangles or yeah, maybe like, a square or rectangle. Yeah, give me something that I can do. You know? You're know, you like, this isn't programming. There's no triangles. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the whole thing with that was like we never actually made a program. Like the closest that we came to it was a hangman game at the very end of the class. And the the thing was you had to enter the word when you started playing the game. So it was like the worst <laughs> game in the universe. <laughs> it's like, who wants to play this? Yikes. <laughs> so in any case, uh, somewhere along the line, um, when I kind of like was interested in picking up programming again, I discovered the bootcamp phenomenon and, uh, I did a little bit of research and immediately decided that it was a scam and that all of these places were basically out there to take my money and give me some piece of paper that's like, here's your certificate, kid, and I get out of here. And uh, despite that, I found one about an hour away and signed up and did it anyway. And then uh, did it, loved it, um, really enjoyed learning JavaScript and front-end web development, uh, loved working in Node.js, um, and then got a job doing it, and kind of here I am. Hmm. So you went into the boot camp on day one kind of expecting... I've done this and I've signed up for this, but I don't really expect to get much out of it. That was sort of your, your mindset. Yeah. I'm curious about that transition too. Yeah. So from day one, I figured that these people were a not going to help me get a job and that B I would have to work incredibly hard to get hired at the end of the boot camp. And how was that process sort of in reality compared to what you expected? It was better than I had hoped for because my expectations were obviously very low. Uh, my previous um, experience with being taught to program was like rock bottom. <laughs> it was kind of like, all right, kid, here we're going to talk about binary or hexadecimal or something. And then I would go home and like pour over a headfirst Java manual. And then like the examples in the book were way more fun than the stuff we were doing in class. Oh, brother. So I would just kind of get sad about how I couldn't do the fun stuff in the book and had to print triangles to the screen. <laughs> so from day one, you know, in the boot camp, it's like, okay, we're going to make a portfolio, go home and make like a website about, you know, whatever you want or make your own website and add whatever kind of like personal touch you want to it, which is like really freeing compared to printing triangles, obviously. Uh, and then from that, from that point on, we made like games and JavaScript and fun apps. So I made like an RPG out of jQuery uh, that had like a, a dice rolling D and D system to it. Mm -hmm. um, an RPG for people who are not familiar does not rocket propelled grenade. I'm pretty sure. No, no, no. Role playing game. So role playing uh, game. Okay. Yeah, kind of like a um, like a Final Fantasy ish kind of uh, 
real-time battle system type of thing. Oh, okay. I spent like, I don't even know how many hours building that thing, just because I was having so much fun learning and developing stuff. Uh, it's like 900 lines of spaghetti jQuery, but uh huh. I mean, at the same time, like, it's kind of amazing. But it's that, your baby, yeah. Yeah, that you could do that with like three weeks experience, right? So, wow! Yeah, it's an impressive amount of spaghetti jQuery uh, at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I put in a lot of effort in the course. Um, I definitely took it very seriously. And all the marketing kind of says, like, this is going to be a super intensive program. Mm -hmm. But I found that my classmates did not take it as seriously. And so, you know, at the end of it, they didn't have the same results that I did. Okay. Okay. Would you say, and I think I can guess the answer here, but was there anything from triangle writing time that gave you a leg up or that looking back you thought, oh, here's where that idea is useful? Or was it just they were completely separate? Yeah, I would say that I had a little bit of an edge because coming from, you know, working with Java and taking that intro to computer science stuff, I was familiar with like what a variable is and what a function is. Mm -hmm. And even so far as like, you know, being able to write a recursive function, naturally we had to print a triangle with recursion. That was the assignment. So um, <laughs> uh, by the time we got to that in the boot camp, they were like, okay, this is recursion. I was like, ah, my old friend, but yeah, at the, at the time as a college student, I was completely floored by that. It was a, it was a very difficult concept to understand. Yeah. The first time anyone runs into recursion, it's, I think it's mind-blowing for everybody. So what would you say, now that you've got that training and you've been a developer for a bit, what would you say is the biggest thing that has surprised you about being a developer? And that could be something you learned right after you finished your training or, or recently, or um, is there anything that, that maybe didn't meet your expectations either in a good way or a bad way? What, you know, what kind of stuff surprised you? And to quantify that a little bit, when we say you've been de a developer for a bit, I think you're just at or past uh, your year anniversary is becoming a working developer? Yes, uh, like a year on Labor Day is what it was. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations for that. Thank you. Yeah, Eddie and I just recorded a, a show uh, tonight where we talked about like our, our year of development. So Nice. Yeah, if, if you're interested, check that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but to answer your question, um, I think the biggest thing that shocked me was I kind of expected to enter the field and be surrounded by people that knew everything. So like I expected my boss to know everything there is about JavaScript. I expected the backend team to know like literally every aspect of AWS or uh, every API function that's, you know, every design pattern that, and that sort of thing. And the reality is that uh, we're all constantly learning and nobody knows everything and everybody's like trying really hard to tread water and stay up to date with everything. <laughs> and would you say you got that impression because your bootcamp instructors as Ben and I were flawless through the entire time that you saw them doing things? I don't know where that impression came from. Probably just uh, like first because I had such a hard time learning development in college, um, but also just not having the confidence in myself to say like, okay, you can go out and do this thing. Um, thinking that you know, development is this, uh, I don't know, impenetrable field to get into. Uh, you know, people think about like TV shows like Mr. Robot, where the guys like, you know, or the movie Hackers, where they're just writing, you know, 30 lines a second of like Linux commands into a console. And right, right. Magic is flying up on the screen and stuff. And uh, really, it's, it's not like that at all. So um, 
Kyle Simpson, the guy that wrote uh, You Don't Know JS, he had a, a really great tweet um, that was like, you know, I've been, I've written countless books and given talks and hundreds of hours of study and writing code. And every day I struggle to get my code to run and it's a tedious slog. Yeah. And so that, that really made an impression on me. Like, wow, everybody's out there struggling. Yeah. I mean, my dad often quotes a guy who's got 30 years of programming experience we had on the show recently that even now he is mostly surprised when he writes code and tries to run it and it runs on the first try. Even after 30 years of experience, you're still like, is it going to work? I don't know. Maybe it will. And then if it does, you're actually kind of surprised that it that it came together so flawlessly because that is definitely not the norm when you're building code. Yeah. And uh, Douglas Crockford is another person that I really like because he's just like such an old curmudgeon. Mm -hmm. um, he, he gets up in front of the on stage and he's just like i hate this part of javascript like the this keyword in javascript is terrible right it's confusing it confuses me it confuses other developers so i don't use it you know or, or something like really crazy like that so i think about uh you know somebody like that who's on the committee that's deciding the standards of javascript right he's kind of an elder statesman yeah exactly so like if he's having trouble with it of course i would have trouble with it yeah, you expect him to be some sort of like robed wizard in some dark room standing in a semicircle, right, with all of the answers and everything just kind of comes together perfectly. But he's just a developer like everybody else. And I think that's a great attitude to hear somebody like that or Kyle Simpson or whoever else having trouble and expressing that trouble and say that gives you solidarity with them instead of saying, well, if they're having trouble, then I should go do something else entirely because I, I can't hope to keep up with those guys and they're having a hard time. Yeah, I guess that's a that's another way you could look at it. Like, well, man, if Kyle Simpson doesn't understand it, I guess I never will. But that, that's not really the, the spirit of kind of how it was presented. So I, I kind of take inspiration from it. Yeah, good. Good. I think that's the right thing to do. So if you could uh, go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice, and this could be when you're in the boot camp, it could be recently younger, right? It could be a long, potentially, I don't know when you went to college, but a long time ago or whenever that was, right? When you were much younger and maybe going into programming or trying to the first time, really kind of anywhere in your journey, if you could give your younger self a piece of advice um, and kind of how, you know, sort of relate it to your current career, what would you, what do you think that you would say to that younger Lee? Uh, it, it's kind of a tough question because um, whenever you look back at stuff and try and like, second guess the decisions that you made, you know, you really have to wonder if that would have sent you down a different path. So if I had never given up on development, you know, back when I was in college, maybe I would have graduated with a CS degree and become like an enterprise Java developer or something. And maybe I would have hated it and quit and then gone back and become a fireman anyway. And then I'd still be doing that instead of development. So um, I don't really look uh, backwards and kind of like judge the decisions that I've made like that. I, I really value all of the experience that <clears throat> I've taken from all my previous uh, careers, even though they're kind of all over the place. Um, that being said, just in terms of programming, uh, I would talk to my, my former self-learning Java and explain like, listen, this is not your fault. This is a terrible education. You know, this is not, you're too dumb. This is, you have a bad teacher. It's really a failing of the curriculum, I think. So the only people that I feel did well in that class were like kids that already knew what they were doing before they got into it. I don't, I don't think that the, the teacher was doing any of us a service by, you know, waxing on about hexadecimal and then giving us Java assignments or, you know, that 
there's a huge disconnect between the actual lecture and the actual assignments. And that, and that was the story throughout all of my college courses. So like I, I took a physics course where the instructors would get up in front of a 300 person auditorium and they'd fire like a 22 rifle bullet into a cup and like watch the cup swing or something. And then we would go home and we'd have to write like this physics calculus problem and solve math, but they didn't talk about any of that in the lecture. So you'd have to go to the office hours and like beg the TA to show you how to actually complete the homework. So uh, I just became like very disenfranchised with uh, higher education and like, why am I paying so much money to struggle so hard in school? So I would definitely tell myself like, you know, if anything, don't give up on development, give up on formal development education, like go teach yourself development, because I feel like I'd, I have a lot more success with that now, even though I'm still not like a Java a professional developer or anything like that. Like I could, like now I know what public static void main means, but then I had no idea. I think it's such a healthy like attitude to have both about, um, you know, don't accept uh, a poor educational experience as just, well, I must not know anything and I'm, and I'm too stupid to learn this. And I'm right. That those are that, that kind of place is such an easy place to go to when you're in that scenario and, and not, and realizing that, you know, I don't know these things, right? I have ignorance of these topics, but that in itself is not an indication that I am incapable of learning it. It's just that I don't know yet and I need someone to help me learn it. And if you have, a, you know, an environment where that's not working for you, it isn't at all necessarily that you can't learn that. It's just that maybe this environment isn't the best environment for you and that you should, you know, move on to something else. And I think the other thing too is like you said that you don't look back um, and, and you, and you value and treasure the experiences you've had up to this point. And I think both those things are something that a lot of students, you know, in my capacity as an instructor at a boot camp, um, we're getting lots of students who are coming in later in their lives and in, they've already had a career and they maybe, like you said, like you've done, they've tried things and it hasn't worked out and they're trying to get a, a solution and an educational solution that would work. And a lot of people tend to kind of. I think overly discount the experiences they've already had as like, well, that was a big waste of time right now. I'm going to do the thing that I was meant to do. I'm going to come, I'm going to become a programmer, but, but I can only imagine that your experience as a fireman and a paramedic and a nurse is going to do, is going to pay huge dividends for you in your future, you know, current and future career as a developer, because what if you encounter healthcare related software that you're going to work on, right? That's a huge industry. You might end up in there. Um, and so, then you have domain knowledge that your colleagues may not have, right? So not only are you then able to build code to solve those problems, but you also can bring domain knowledge to bear on the problem that your that your other programmer colleagues don't have. So I think, uh, you know, looking forward, cherishing the things that you that you have experienced, and also not being willing to settle for this is a crappy educational experience. I want to do better. Both those things are think are such sage advice for people who are. Uh, in particular, looking to get into technology and become a programmer and people who have that pre, you know, if you're 18 fresh out of high school, it's one thing, but a lot of people are, are coming to it later and, you know, don't discount the the experience that you've got. It's going to be super helpful to you. Yeah. Going along with that, um, I don't think I would have passed my developer interview if I hadn't had all that previous career experience. Um, as, as somebody, you know, fresh out of college or fresh out of high school, uh, you just don't have the social skills, or at least I didn't, 
to sit down in front of a table full of people and answer questions from everybody. So as a fireman or as a fireman applying to jobs, um, I had to like sit down in front of a row of chiefs where everybody's got like white shirts and badges and stuff. And they're all asking you like really difficult public service questions. Like how do you handle this situation where your coworkers in a store buying a bottle of liquor with his uniform on or something like that. And so they really put you in the hot seat, not to make a terrible pun, but uh, you know, having all that experience plus working in the healthcare field where you're talking to people and you know, they're in terrible situations and having to maintain professionalism, all that really, really helped me, you know, pass an interview and be comfortable answering, Oh, well, what's state and react? Oh, no problem. You know, that's way easier than the, the liquor store question. Right? Sure. <laughs> so, um, that experience was just like, it, it, maybe it doesn't translate directly, but it, it's definitely helpful. And then on top of that, like you said, um, I, I even applied to a company in Orlando that's making software for fire departments. So I had an interview with them and I didn't get the job, but I don't think I would have gotten that interview with zero experience for a senior developer position if, you know, I didn't have that related domain knowledge like you, you had mentioned. Um, and then kind of the the last thing that, that really surprised me about um, learning and, and getting into development over all these years is um, the longer that you work on trying to learn something, the easier it becomes to learn that thing. So maybe on the first pass, you only learn a tiny piece of it or you kind of catch the edge of what this thing is. So to put it in, you know, an example, maybe like authentication with Node.js or something. So on a first pass, you kind of learn like, oh, well, maybe sessions belong on the server or on the client, or I should use cookies or something. And then like you watch more videos, take another week, you know, read some more articles and you discover like, okay, well, I should use HTTP only cookies if I'm going to do this thing. And maybe I should use this part of the passport API. And kind of like the longer that you chip away at it, eventually you'll learn it. But whenever you sit down and learn something that's completely brand new to you, it's, it's easy to get discouraged and just give up on it. Yes, it is. Yeah. And there's a sense that I think probably from the formal education that everybody has that generally you get your exposure and here it is, you need to learn this and then we're going to test you on it. And either you figured it out or you haven't, and then we go on to the next thing, which is unfortunate because I think you're absolutely right that that's not really how people can develop a deep understanding of pretty sophisticated topics. Yeah. So you can't like, okay, this week we're going to learn how to do, I don't know, derivatives and calculus, and you have to know them by Tuesday. Good luck. You know, that, that's not how real life works. You know, uh, you, you have to get up to speed and some people it takes longer than others and people learn, you know, with different mediums. So like, maybe I like tutorial videos on YouTube and the person, you know, the other person in class may prefer blog posts or something and it's whatever works best. Absolutely right. So what do you do to kind of keep, make sure that you are keeping, you know, track of, of what's out there and, and if you do come across a project or something that you really don't know anything about, how do you keep the, the learning going now that you're not, you know, the bootcamp environment is definitely a place where if you, like you said, if you apply yourself, you can really learn a ton of information and, and gain a ton of knowledge and skill in a relatively short amount of time. Um, and, and that might even be, I don't know, maybe a little bit scary to people who, that, you know, you finish that and you get out and you get into your job. 
you don't have that built-in mechanism for kind of quick learning. So how have you managed, I'm sure you've probably learned a ton since you've graduated. Um, how have you managed to kind of keep your learning uh, up and, you know, and what do you do when you need to learn something new? It's a, it's a lot to unpack in that question, but uh, <laughs> the, the main thing, um, so like you said, you can get a job and get hired and just coast, right? So it is possible. People do that. Um, I'm not judging anyone, but uh, in, in the technology industry, there's a lot of pressure to learn stuff and stay on top and tread water, like I mentioned earlier. So for me, um, I do a podcast where I interview people uh, from the industry. And, and that means that I've put a deadline on myself to go research that technology. So don't sound like an idiot on the podcast when I'm talking to this industry expert. So that may mean that like I spin up a project in that technology or read about it or watch a talk from that person. Uh, I just have to do research and learn a little bit so I can get into it. Uh, so I've ended up learning a lot about testing that way. I've learned about PHP uh, from interviewing uh, Matt Stauffer. I learned about Gatsby, um, interviewing some people from the Gatsby team. Um, and then the second thing is that I will find projects that have meaning to me and then try and learn something new on the way to building that thing. So I didn't know Vue when I started my job. So I built the podcast website in Vue with Gridsome. I didn't know anything about either one of those technologies, but I figured, hey, this is a great excuse to learn something. Um, I didn't have a blog, so I built a blog and used React and Gatsby. So I didn't know anything about Gatsby, um, decided that I should do a little bit of research, went ahead and built a site, and was kind of up and running from there. And today you're on the React newsletter, right? As we, <laughs> as we record. Yeah, I, for, I forgot about that. You uh, forgot. <laughs> oh, it doesn't go to his head at all. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I actually put a lot of um, a lot of effort into the blog by building in um, like runnable code snippets and stuff. Because whenever you're reading people's blogs uh, and it just has a, a static snippet of code, you're like, I don't even know what this does. Right. Right. So as a front end developer, it's all just JavaScript. So I was able to do some like hacks to to keep the um, to make the snippets live, essentially. So like you can have a button that you click that runs it like JSBin or JSFiddle or all those sorts of things, which I feel like makes it a lot easier to learn something because you can go in there and like see the result in real time. And then you can also like edit the snippets and stuff. So um, I had some some help from some other libraries and plugins and stuff, but. Uh, there was a lot of learning that went into that, and I learned React like above and beyond, um, digging into like the context API and stuff that those technologies use. So, uh, but yeah, I had a post on uh, Use Effect and Use Ref that got uh, read by Tyler McGinnis, which is like a big React educator, and he included it in his newsletter. Right, right. Yeah, just it was what Saturday morning, I think. Right, you were on the Orlando. Uh developers slack channel and said hey i wrote this thing i'd appreciate feedback and i i read through the article i didn't find anything wrong with it but i didn't think of myself as someone who knew enough about hooks to intelligently critique it and so i went off and like read more about hooks for the rest of the day and never got back to uh to tell you i thought you'd done a good job and now everybody knows yeah you did a you did a great job that was a really solid piece of work thank you thank you that means a lot so uh, that sounds, th those are all, I think, really great ways to kind of make sure that your learning is current and that it's active and, 
And, and it sounds like it's a very organic way to do it, right? You're not just like, what tutorials can I consume? What videos can I watch? What I'm just going to kind of, you know, voraciously consume training content just for its own sake. It sounds like you're really doing it in a way that is useful to you in the moment. And hopefully that'll help you, you know, retain it better. Yeah, I think you have to be really vigilant about not doing that. So, you know, it's it's really easy to jump on Slack or Twitter or whatever and somebody scream at you about TypeScript and say, like, you have to know TypeScript, you have to know TypeScript. But if you're not going to use it professionally, you don't need to know TypeScript. Right. So uh, there's um, a guy on YouTube, I forget his name, but he, Stefan Mishuk, I think, uh, he has a quote that's like, I learn things on a need to nerd basis. And, and that really resonated with me. So, like, if you don't need it, if you're not going to use it for work or for your own projects, like, to, why would you learn it? That doesn't make any sense. That's just brain space that you're, like, allocating to something that's that you're not going to use. And then you end up getting discouraged that way. Like, okay, I went and spent all this time reading, you know, tutorials and learning how to use this technology, and then I'd never built anything with it. That, that seems like a, a really negative feedback loop. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be really daunting, right? Because there's so much new stuff. And I think people overuse the word exponentially, but in this field, I think you can say there's an exponential growth in the amount of things that you could potentially learn. And we're way past the point that anybody could hope to learn everything or most of it. So you really have to pick your battles and be satisfied learning that just the stuff that you need to know. Yeah, I think um, if you're using a language like, in my case, JavaScript, like you're never wasting time by reading about JavaScript or learning something about JavaScript, but you can absolutely waste your time by, you know, learning some obscure framework or library or something that somebody said was hot on Twitter. Yes. Hey, you said before that you expected people in your field once you got a job to be experts at you know, whatever it is that they were in charge of, if they were a backend person or whatever, that they would just know everything. And I think that's a really common misconception from people who either want to get into tech and become a programmer or people who maybe just have done that. They think that, um, you know, the senior people within the field are just complete experts. And, and that tends to put a lot of pressure on juniors to, I feel like I need to learn so much in order to be an expert, right? That, that it, it, it gives you maybe um, this this unfair expectation that you should consume every tutorial and watch every video and go to every conference and just like just consume, 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 trying trying to to get to to some mythical level of understanding that that it turns out nobody has that level of understanding, right? Even the people that you revere on the you know the the JavaScript core team who are like deciding what language features to add, even they don't know everything there is to know about JavaScript. And I think it's it's healthy to hear from, you know, from us, from you, from everyone, that this is an ever-evolving field and, and it is it is essentially impossible to actually be able to, to hold in your brain everything. So like you said, why learn it? If, if I do have a finite amount of space, generally speaking, and there's way more than I could ever possibly fit in my brain, why pack it full of things that I'm not going to use, right? Because that's just... Like you said, it's just kind of a waste of brain space. Yeah, um, there were people in my boot camp class and people that I, uh, I I was a teaching assistant for the same boot camp. And seeing those kids, or adults really, go through and graduate, um, some of them, would they'd come out of the boot camp and they'd be like, I'm going to go learn mobile development. Like, whoa, 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 you just spent six months learning JavaScript. Why not continue that? Why switch tracks completely and go to 
you know, learning iOS or, or Swift or whatever. And it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like I'm still learning JavaScript. How can you branch off and go learn PHP or, you know, Flutter or whatever, you know, that, that doesn't, there's a huge disconnect there. It's, I think it's a difficult balance because you can inform your knowledge of one language by getting a second and having a slightly different perspective. Same way if you learn a, a different spoken or written language that you'll find out more things about English if you pick up Spanish or something even more different from English than that. But uh, I, I think where people really get themselves into trouble is when they just, like you said, get on Twitter and find out what's the hot new, you know, what's the flavor of the week. And then over the course of a year, learn a very little bit about a huge number of different things, because that really doesn't do you any good. If you just know how to declare a variable in 15 different languages, well, that's no good. Yeah, I had a recruiter tell me um, one time in passing that he sees a lot of boot camp students graduate, and then they go out and they get a years of experience, and then they come back and start asking the recruiter for new jobs. And he looks at their resume and it's just all over the place. They've got like a little bit in this technology and a little bit in that technology, and he doesn't really know how to place them. So the best advice I've heard on that is to have a T-shaped skill set, meaning that you, you get really specialized in one area. So in my case, JavaScript or front end. Um, and then you have a broad kind of like skill set at the top that would be the, the cross of the T. So like I've also experimented and worked with Docker and AWS I've done a little bit of like Node.js development and backend with like MySQL and that sort of thing. So I've, I've worked across the stack, but I'm specialized in front end technologies. Yeah, that way you can be conversant with your colleagues who don't do what you do, but you don't have to be an expert because they're an expert, right? Like it's, it's everybody can kind of have their lane that they swim in, but then you also still want to be able to talk with them and, and have a reasonably technical conversation so that you can, you know, you can get things done. Right, exactly. So the, the days of like siloed software development where the backend team is off in their dungeon doing their thing. Ah, the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> Front end teams off in their tower doing their thing. Like those days are over. People are crossing boundaries and they, you really need to have a, I think an over, like a high level understanding of what your total application is supposed to do in order to meaningfully contribute to it. Right, right. But if you just have a superficial level understanding of everything, then you just have a superficial understanding of everything. If you have a deep understanding of your part, then that can really inform what would otherwise be a, a, an even more superficial understanding of different parts of the technology. Yeah, Paul, Paul Hudson is kind of a, a, a big um, force in the iOS training world. Um, he runs a website called Hacking with Swift. And he was recently asked a question on Reddit about someone who was going learning iOS and going through a Ray Wenderlich tutorial, another large sort of juggernaut in the iOS training world, and was saying, hey, I'm learning, I'm using Ray's tutorials, they're great. I also would like to use yours to augment that. Um, and I think the answer that he gave was really great. It was that uh, developers, whether they're brand new, just starting out, or I think this is also totally applicable to you know junior, junior professionals, uh, mid-seniors, we can easily fall prey to, to like shiny object syndrome where you see one thing and you go to, you go to use it. Like, this is great. And then you jump to something else. And what he was saying was, uh, you know, obviously I would love for you to come buy my books and my tutorials and use my content. Um, that's what I, that's what I do for a living. But, um, what I would encourage you to do is do what works best for you and your educational experience. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, 
uh, you want to consume every tutorial that's available, right? You, if you're if you're going through race tutorials, then you probably should stick for now with that content, and then you can branch out kind of once you have a more more of a, a foundational understanding of what you're doing. And I think that's true not just when you're learning kind of fresh, but like you know at your point at the point you're at now where you've got a year's experience. I bet it's probably pretty tempting for you to you see something new that has nothing to do with front end JavaScript, and you want to go off and learn that thing. Um, and I think it's important to remember what is, what is my goal today in a week in a month in a year in five years for my career and what will serve me best, you know, today to kind of get to that goal. And it probably isn't jumping around to a million different things and learning, you know, like you said, a superficial amount about a ton of things. It sounds like he, he's really not prey to that temptation. <laughs> I have a, I've jumped a little bit into Python recently but it's it's super similar to JavaScript. Uh, they're both scripting languages, and they, they have a lot of the same uh, kind of quirks and conventions to them. So I feel like it's maybe a, a good mix to, to work in both. You know, something that I'm kind of re realizing just as we're talking about this is that uh, the temptation to go and read everything and you know see every YouTube video and all that, that I, I think all of us are at least aware that temptation exists, no matter how much we can fight it off, um, it, is somehow unique, I think, to software development. Like I never once going through college did I think, okay, I've uh, I've read chapter three of this organic chemistry textbook. <laughs> you know, why don't I go find another chapter three in a different organ? But somehow we get a different feeling about, well, I, I learned from Wes Boss's stuff, but I should also check out Scott Delinsky and Tyler McGinnis and, you know, Free Code Camp and go through every resource even if I focus just on my one technology, I feel like, well, all of these content providers all must be providing uh, unique and extra information. And that's probably not the case at all. I mean, they each have their own way of doing it, but you want to find who really clicks with you and, and just kind of learn their stuff. And, and a variable is a variable, right? No matter, for a given language, no matter how you choose to maybe provide an example or an analogy or whatever to help explain it, at the, in the end of the day, the syntax is the same. So, you know, you're not going to necessarily get that much value from, from like you said, jumping to 10 different people all teaching this, the same third chapter of JavaScript. Yeah, I think um, you, you kind of hit an interesting point. Um, when I was in fire school, I had an instructor get up in front of us and he said, you guys have to be a student of the game. And I was like, I don't know what that means. That's dumb. And basically he, ex he explained it as uh, he explained it as like, I would go home and I'll sit on the toilet and read like firehouse magazine, or I'll go to a conference on my day off or, or whatever. And I was like, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like you go to work and then you go home and you have fun and then you go to work and you suffer and you go to, you know, there's separate things, but as developers, like it's different. So as a fireman or as a nurse, I don't go home and do firefighting or nursing. Like I leave all that stuff at the hospital or at work. Uh, I don't have any like skills that I can practice on my own time. As you hope not, right? Especially yeah, yeah, with exactly. those two jobs. At least beyond like CPR or something. But you know, I'll say a few hail marys uh, later and knock on wood. But with development, it's totally different. Like everything that you learn as a developer, that's skills that you take with you forever. Like that's your own skill set that you can apply however you wish. So if you want to learn backend technology, like you don't have to do that for an employer. You can go home and develop your own server, create your own API. So it creates like this, this hunger for new information and new material. And 
it, it makes it fun and exciting to learn stuff because you're not learning it for work. You're learning it for your own benefit. Yeah, I think in that way, we're a lot more like uh, like craftsmen or I guess craftspeople, as we would say in the 21st century, than the typical like white collar professionals who we tend to get uh, lumped in with. Because like you said, no one is going home to do uh, to, to practice firefighting or to, to be an accountant, you know, just as a hobby. But if you're working in software, you think, hey, I learned this new thing. I can build something for myself with it the same way that I imagine a, a carpenter could say, oh, you know what? I can use this new tool and I can finally get the exact desk or staircase or, you know, whatever wooden thing that I want to have around the house. Or for that matter, a plumber or electrician or whatever. It's like they're not going to call a plumber. They're just going to fix their own problems because they, they know how to do that, right? Plumber, I think, would be less developer than DevOps. <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so that's actually a perfect segue, Lee. You set me up perfectly for this. Uh, the next question that I have for you is around the idea of tech burnout and kind of how you maybe have encountered this. You probably haven't encountered it yet, but but if you've if you've heard about it or if you've thought about it, there was recently kind of a meme going around on Twitter about how people in Silicon Valley, in particular, who are in tech, were all going to quit their jobs and and create a farm, go find like buy a bunch of land somewhere in the middle of nowhere and and have a farm. Uh, so, have have you thought about this idea of kind of becoming burned out with tech? Because certainly it is the case that if you do it for a living and then you come home and you do it when you're at home and stuff, it can eventually get to the point where it feels a little. It gets a little, you know, on your nerves. So have you thought about it and and what you, in particular, how you might go about um, creating a, uh, a healthy work-life balance, maybe even starting now, so that you can avoid that, you know, that that pretty much bad outcome later where in, in five, ten years, you're like, I'm totally done with tech forever because I've just I've just used up all of my attention for it. And could I jump in and ask maybe a simpler question so that you can think about your challenging one? Well, just like framing things. Um, you've talked about doing a lot of stuff to learn outside of work, and then obviously you're employed as a developer. I'm curious just week to week what the hour, hourly commitment is. Are you in work about 40 hours and then uh, doing your own stuff for like an hour a day? Or what does that look like? So it's kind of it's not as cut and dry as that. It's not like I clock in at a certain time and then like, okay, now this is my hour of personal development time. Um, it's kind of dependent on what we're doing. So if we have a lot of downtime at work, like, yeah, absolutely. I'll work on my own stuff, check out tutorials that I, you know, may be interested in. And if they're relevant to the tech stack that we're working with, you know, I create a spike for it or something at work and just log hours to it. But uh, if we're busy, then, you know, yeah, I'll, maybe code on nights and weekends if I have the time or wake up early, you know, and work from home and do a couple hours before we, you know, have stand up or something. Um, but going back to, uh, to burnout, it's something that I dealt with a lot in the healthcare field and saw a lot of people in that field struggle with. So there's a lot of drug use, alcoholism, um, broken marriages, uh, patient abuse. Um, so it's, it's kind of like when you talk about it with developers, people kind of laugh like, ha ha ha, you're tired of coding, like whatever, that's silly, like burnout, you know, what? Like, oh, my fingers are getting blisters because I type for so many. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, you know, the, the symptoms are, at least in my experience, a little bit similar. 
you just kind of, you feel tired. You don't want to get out of bed in the morning. You kind of like have to force yourself to sit down at the desk and like knock out a ticket or something. So, you know, when I was a fireman as a nurse, I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to get up and do that job. Like the thought, like on my day off before I would go back to work, I would have anxiety about going back to work. So I'm definitely vigilant about that with development. Um, the problem is that I love development, so it's kind of a double-edged sword where it's really easy to just just go nuts, essentially, and just uh, code, 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 and not take a break. So it's, it's a difficult thing to balance, but um, if I find myself just kind of like feeling blasé about it, um, I may force myself to take a break or deliberately schedule like, okay, tonight I'm not going to do any work. I'm just going to sit down and watch a movie or play a video game or read a book or whatever and deliberately not read any development stuff, watch any tutorials. It's really pervasive because you can just like sit down on your phone and start learning stuff. So uh, you really have to be, uh, what's the word? Uh, intentional about taking a break and not just kind of, oh, I'll, I'll take a break when I get tired. No, like schedule a break, you know, force yourself to do it. Yeah. And I think for people who are, who have, are about to, or maybe have just graduated from an accelerated program, like a boot camp, I think that can be particularly pernicious because you're so used to that crazy 80 hour a week schedule, you know, that, that you're like, I got to keep this going. And then, and then you end up in this thing where you're like, well, I'm sitting here doing nothing. I should be learning. A, I should be learning something. Or I should have a tutorial in front of me. And, and I, I think it can take a little bit of uh, getting used to. We used to say to our students that, you know, the work you're doing now in the boot camp is actually m more work and harder work than you're going to have when you have a job. I know it doesn't right. seem like right. that. Because it's so new. But, but it's, it is like that because, like you said, because it's so new. Um, so it's, I think the, the advice to, you know, be intentional with your breaks is – uh, is particularly important because you, we, like you said, you can kind of almost without realizing it end up like, man, I've just been doing nothing but code for the last two months. Right. And it just feels like I don't do anything else ever. And, and it can, that, that feeling of um, like resentment towards your own, the love that you have for that can kind of creep up on you. Yeah, definitely. And in my case, it's, it's kind of extra bad. So <laughs> I definitely felt that momentum coming out of the boot camp, and I wanted to maintain it. So I started a meetup, and then I started a podcast, and then I started a blog. Now I feel like I have to do all those things every week to keep everything going. But really, like you, you, don't. you don't have to do that. You, you no. absolutely yeah. are. No, you don't to have to do human, any so. one of those things. <laughs> yes, I was. I was incredibly impressed with your uh, your tenacity and your and your drive to to start all those community things. Um, and you've actually teed me up for another perfect segue. So uh, to kind of close out our conversation, um, what kind of advice would you give to other, you know, particularly newly trained developers on what do you, what do you think is a healthy balance for how to engage in those kinds of community things? So things like podcasts, either being on one or joining or, you know, creating one participating in meetups or running i mean you just kind of went full tilt like you you created the podcast you created the meetup you created the blog you just like i'm gonna do all the things all at once um maybe that isn't your 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 uh the the primrose path advice but uh because you have that experience with those things being a community leader um pretty much right from the get-go 
what kind of advice would you give to, to people who are coming out of that kind of training? And what do you think would be a good, healthy mix for that? Because we certainly used to encourage our students, like, you should go to meetups, you should do this, you should you should engage, right, with the community early and often because it, pro it provides networking and stuff. And I think, again, just like everything else, it's easy to get um, caught up in, like, I should do everything. And then and then suddenly, like you said, you're doing three full, like, full-time community event management things and you're like oh now i'm doing this forever so what what kind of advice would you would you give about you know kind of engaging in that in a healthy way so um definitely the if you take nothing else away from this don't think that i'm successful because i'm doing those things i got hired straight out of the boot camp before i did any of that stuff so it's not necessary to start your own podcast you don't have to blog uh, you don't have to go to meetups and all this stuff in order to get a developer job that being said, all that stuff definitely helps. So being ingrained in the community, like everybody knows uh, who I am and what I do because of all these you know, projects that I have going at the same time. I feel like I have a lot of people that I could reach out to for help if I needed it. Um, so there, there's good things to it, but don't feel like you have to do all that stuff. Um, the other thing I would say is that uh, if you're afraid to do any of that stuff, don't be. That Nobody has stopped me and said like, Lee, your meetup sucks and I hate you. That has never happened. Never, never has anybody said like, I read your blog post and it was terrible and you suck. Except for one person on Reddit and he was wrong. But, <laughs> and uh, as far as the podcast goes, like there's almost as much benefit listening to a podcast as there is, you know, running one. So you don't have to start your own or even interview somebody or be a guest on one. Just like listening to a couple of knucklehead developers talking about what they're doing at work is slowly going to get you acclimated to the industry and all the stuff that they deal with. So for me, that was listening to Syntax FM, listening to you know a couple of front-end developers talk about the tech stack that they work with and the technologies and some of the pros and cons to them. You know, by the time that I went through 20 or 30 episodes, like I was ready to crush an interview because I had a wide breadth of knowledge about all these different technologies in that uh, specialization. So don't feel like you have to do that stuff, but it's definitely helpful. And if anything, participate in it. You know, you don't have to start it yourself, but definitely make it a point. Like if you're looking for a job, go out there and go to a meetup. And if they have lightning talks, get up there and show off something that you built. Uh, you don't have to run the meetup yourself or give a talk. But just get yourself out there and kind of show off what you're doing. And that's going to telegraph to the community that, hey, this person is passionate about development. They haven't given up on it and they're serious enough about it to share their work with everybody. Yeah, it's, it feels a lot more intimidating before you do it, having gone through that process of, uh, I don't want to be in a room with people who really know what they're doing and expose all of my limitations. And then, you know, you give a, a talk or you just show up and you find out, oh, this is okay. And yeah, you're, you're really never going to have someone say, oh, I read your thing and it was horrible. It provided you stay off of Hacker News and some parts of... Yeah, stay off of Reddit. Uh, yeah, Reddit and, <laughs> and probably Twitter can, can have moments. But in actual life, that will never happen to you. Yeah, if anything, I've learned more by doing those things because people are very helpful, especially developers. And they'll read your post and go like, hey, man, I really liked your post, but did you know that you could have done this instead of this? And you're like, wow, I didn't even think about that. So it's really a good way to engage in the community 
and receive feedback and learn as well as just kind of like show off your own skills. Yeah, I'm sure because you listen to some of the same podcasts I do. Have you heard uh, Swix? Sean something. I can't remember what his last name is, but he's uh, a fairly new developer who's uh, big into learning in public. And he said, you can learn anything online for the low, low price of your ego. Yes, that's 100% <laughs> true. Exactly, exactly that. You just you post, here's my best understanding of things, universe. What do you all think? And you'll find out pretty quick if there are mistakes, people let you know. 100%. And that's fine, right? Then you learn. Yeah, there's yes. a there's a subreddit called Roast Me. It is literally you like put your picture up or whatever and you sort of expect <clears throat> oh, people boy. to just go to town on you. Um and uh -huh. and I feel like that is that is kind of indicative of any time you post anything technical on the internet in any forum where there are other technical people, they're gonna they're gonna basically eviscerate your your post kind of regardless of, of how good it is. Um so you know, take that for what it's worth. And, and, and like you said, Lee, right, use it as an opportunity to learn, um, but don't get bogged down by all the, the, the people that are, that are potentially going to say that this is the wrong way to do things. Something I tell my students all the time is that I don't know if this is, if this is unique to the programmer industry or not, but I found that there are many, many, many examples in my career where someone more senior than me has presented an opinion that they have about something with programming as absolute 100% fact, right? And they, they don't, there's no nuance. They don't say that it's their opinion. They say, this is how it works, right? This is the, the cold, hard fact of it. And then you kind of later, you're like, okay. And then you later find out with more context, oh, that was just an opinion. That was just one way of doing things um, and is really not necessarily the the one and only way to do something. So kind of in, in that vein, right? Take it for what it's worth, but realize that in most cases, the things that we say are, you know, it's very easy for us to say something kind of presented as fact, but it's actually just sort of an approach or an opinion. Yeah, definitely. Um, there, There's always those people that are just being negative for the sake of it. Yeah. Uh, so you mm -hmm. kind of have to filter that out. But in in my case, uh, when I got out of the boot camp, the first thing I did was share my portfolio and my resume with the community and say, like, is this good or is this terrible? And I got a lot of feedback that led to different iterations of those things where now I'm proud of my portfolio and proud of my resume because I've had, you know, that feedback from the community where if I had just done that on my own in, you know, isolation, I would have no idea what a good website looks like or what a good portfolio looks like or a good resume looks like. So it's it's incredibly valuable to get that feedback. And it's fine to take pride in it at every step of the way. You know, you you made something and here's my first attempt. What do you think? And don't ever think that criticism of that thing that you made is somehow an attack on yourself. And I think the the Orlando community is really good about saying, uh, I would do that thing differently there and really being uh, constructive with criticism, which, as you proved, can uh, can really help people to learn and grow and make better stuff. Yeah, I think that's a perfect example of the growth mindset, which is a Carol Dweck phenomenon. She, she kind of coined that idea of just sort of being, um, just approaching your learning from a perspective of there's stuff I know, stuff I don't know, and and I want to I want to grow, and I want to uh, you know be open to to new opinions and new ideas. And like you said, here's my website, here's my portfolio. Is it good? Is it bad? And you could have taken some of that 
constructive criticism that you were given as like, well, everyone hates it, and and they and they and they therefore they hate me too, right? Um, but if you approach it from more of an angle of, I asked for feedback, they're giving it to me, positive or negative, and I can choose kind of what to do with that information and how to approach it. And if I approach it from a growth mindset where I'm intending to become better, you know, you can end up in a much, like you said, a much improved uh, scenario and you can be like you said brian sort of happy with what you did and even happier with the the improved version of it yeah 100 percent. so uh just a quick example the blog post that i uh, mentioned earlier that got put on reddit um by somebody that read it uh, that's, that's turn another terrible pun but somebody halfway down <laughs> in the comments said like I, I think they meant that yeah, actually that was I probably so, but in any case i, I read a comment from the thread that was like, Hey man, great post. I gave up reading it halfway through because the code snippets wrap on my iPhone XS, which is like a 300 pixel wide phone. I was like, Oh man, come on. So I was, I was a little like, ah, oh, this guy. But then I sit down and like, you know, got into the mobile view and was like, yeah, the snippet is unreadable and just fixed the CSS and made it so that, uh, you couldn't edit on a phone, but at least you could read it. So you know, it led to an improvement. I took it as, you know, hey, you know, I like what you're doing, but here's why I couldn't consume that thing and use that to improve the website. All right. Well, I think this has been a very successful interview with a very successful junior developer. So let's uh, everybody give Lee Warwick a big hand <laughs> and we'll pause for a moment. Everybody at home listening on, on the train on the way into work. If you're driving, don't just applaud in your mind. And Lee, if people would like to hear more from you, where can they find you on the internet or elsewhere? Yeah, so you can see uh, almost everything that I'm doing at leewarrick.com. That's L-E-E-W-A-R-R-I-C-K.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at TechJRPod... Uh, that's the podcast, TechJRPodcast. <laughs> and my Twitter is at Jr. And uh, if you want to listen to Tech Junior, the, uh, the podcast is available on all the major apps. And you can find the website at techjr.dev. All right. And Ben, if people would like to hear more about the little ramshackle organization we have going here, where can they go and what can they do? So everything you need to know about us is at mbc.fm. That's where you can uh, listen right on the page and learn how to subscribe to our podcast. We are also available pretty much everywhere podcasts are sold. Um, if you happen to use iTunes to do that, we'd love a rating and review. That would really help us out. And you can find us on Twitter at NBC Podcast. We will put all of the links and things we talked about today, including all of Lee's wonderful links that he just rattled off in the show notes so you don't have to necessarily listen to what he said and try and write it down you can just click on the link in the show notes. okay thanks everybody yeah thanks guys for having me on see you next time